Well, last week we started on a new journey, and we got five verses into it. And uh, we started with Genesis 1, chapter 1, and worked our way all the way through verse 5. I know, we were cranky. We're going to crank this morning. And, uh, you know, if, if you didn't, I'm not going to rehash that whole sermon, by the way, but I, I would encourage you to go to the website, and if you missed last week's sermon, I would encourage you to go to the website and to listen to last week's sermon as we, as we walk through. Because we're talking about Genesis, and one of the things we're talking about Genesis is that this idea that, that beginnings matter. And Genesis, as we dive into Genesis, it is especially, we're just going to be looking at the first three chapters here in the fall, but it's some of the most highly debated, controversial uh, scripture in all, maybe possibly all of the Bible. Because there's, everyone wants to speak about Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And even people that don't think, you know, everything from the Christians who proclaim the Bible is to be true in the Word of God, to, everyone, to the atheist who says it's not, it's not the Word of God, uh, it's, it's, it's a made-up myth, but everyone wants to, to speak into and sound off on Genesis 1 through 3. And I find that it's, 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 a, it's just this idea that it's, it's relevant, it's controversial, it's highly debated. Even some of the Christians that I'm reading don't agree on certain things. And so last week I laid some ground rules. And one of the ground rules that I, I, I laid down is that we're not going to be talking about, it's not science versus the Bible. That's not what we're going to get into. I'm not going to lay out for you all the reasons like, oh, science is a joke. And how do we know that? Because the Bible says this and science says this. As if they're pitted against each other. They're not. I don't think that they are. I said last week I said sometimes it might be a scientist or a group of scientists. But it's not science versus the Bible. I believe that science really is just the, the, the observation of the natural world and how it works. And if what we're saying is that the natural world has been set up, and I, go, I don't think that the natural world would ever contradict its creator. If what we believe is that the natural world has flown out of God, that God is the creator, then I go, then why would we think that the natural world would, would contradict God? What I believe is that we live, not only do we live in a natural world, but the natural world is contained within a supernatural world. And what I do believe is that sometimes the supernatural can trump the natural that God says, yeah, that, that's, how we've set, that's how I set it up. That's how I did it. But there is times when the, the supernatural is going to step in and act in ways that, na- that would not, we wouldn't say disagree, but just kind of trump the natural order of things. I mean, like we would take something as basic as matter can be neither created nor destroyed. That's fairly basic. Matter can be neither created nor destroyed. And we look around, we go, but I see a whole lot of it. If it can't be created nor destroyed, then how did it get here? And I would say, yeah, that's actually that's part of the thing. Is that 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 is part of the natural world is that that matter can be neither created nor destroyed, and yet our supernatural God, since it flowed out of Him, created a whole bunch of it. So we're not going to pit the two against each other. And I believe that at the end of the day, and not trying to be oversimplistic, but that if God is God, and I believe that God is God. He gets to do whatever he wants whenever he wants to do it. That's just kind of one of my, my basic things. And that's not, by the way, that's not a cop-out or a, a pat answer. That's just what I, I, I really do believe that. That if God is God, he gets to do whatever he wants whenever he wants to do it. 
The other thing I said is that we're going to let Genesis answer the questions that Genesis seems to be most concerned with. In other words, we're not going to make Genesis or force Genesis to answer questions it doesn't seem to be asking. And by the way, this is a general principle. Whenever you're asking a question that God doesn't seem to be all that concerned with, you're probably asking the wrong question. I think that's true of the Bible. I think that that's true of my own life. You know, when something, sometimes something's happened in your life, you go, but God, why is this? And why would it be that way? And why and God doesn't seem to be answering. And sometimes I think, God, the reason why you're answering is because I'm asking the wrong question. And I seem to be more concerned with the question that you don't seem to be answering than trying to figure out the question that you are answering. Because that seems to be the purpose. And so we're not going to be answering questions that Genesis doesn't seem to be answering. So, for instance, we're probably not going to get to answer the question, did Adam and Eve have a belly button? Right. I don't think that's what we got in Genesis 1, 2, or 3. Is that guy, yeah, God was like, well, they're going to be asking these questions. Like, kids are going to be asking this question. Like, did Adam and Eve have a belly button? And we're going to need to answer that with Genesis 1, 2, and 3. So here we are. I don't think that's what they seems to be most concerned with. All the kids and the parents to those kids are disappointed in that. The other thing in connection with that that I didn't talk about last week, but I wanted to hit is that is that the Bible is written in a way in which we can understand it. And we can understand its, 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 its message is understandable. In other words, we don't need a Captain Crunch decoder to try to figure out what God is trying to say. And I say that because specifically in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, what happens is people will take words and phrases and then say, but if you look at it this way, and if you decode it this way, and the secret is here, and if the secret's here, and it's true, then you unlock this word, then it has all of this meaning. And I go, I don't think that that's how God's words works. I think God has spoken his word, not, that we, not in secret, but for ways for us to understand it in its plain sense. And so once again, in that, we're going to let Genesis speak to plainly to what Genesis speaks on. With that being said, that I believe that speculation is good. You know, I was thinking about our, our guys' study. We speculate a lot. We have a lot of discussion, a lot of disagreements. But I think speculation is good. I think that God is honored at the end of the day when we try to wrestle with what he says and how that jives and how that comes together and how are these, if God says this piece and this piece, how those pieces work together, even if we're wrong, I think God is still honored in that process that we would care that much to wrestle with it. The problem becomes when speculation becomes dogma. And specifically, my speculation becomes dogma. And if you don't see the same thing as I see in my speculation, then you're probably wrong. You know, that's a problem. So I'd encourage you to, to speculate with, to wrestle with, to have conversations with. I had a great conversation last week after, after church. About, about, about some speculations. And like, what do you think about this? And it was really just, I thought, really enriching, although we probably didn't come to a lot of conclusions. And I think what Genesis does is it takes us back to the beginning. Because beginnings matter. And what also Genesis does is this idea that the story is larger than us. I think that often we live in this tension right now where we want, the, we want our story to be about us. Like we, want, we want to be the main character of our own story. 
We are the hero. And the story is being told. And so that's kind of what we want. But at the same time, there's something that's dissatisfying in us when the story is just about us. Because we feel like the story should be bigger than us and and beyond us. And so we live in this tension where we want it to be about us. And yet at the same time, when it is about us, our souls are dissatisfied that the story isn't larger. And one of the things I love about Genesis is that Genesis says, we're going to take you back to the beginning. This story is much older than you, much grander than you. And knowing where you came from is going to matter. And we kind of know that, don't we? We kind of know that where we came from, where we came from, where, where, where we come from, it matters. When you think about those, if you ever go to like Ancestry.com or somebody in your, your, your family does that, they, go, they just want to track it back. We want to see how far back we can take our line because there's something about our story that goes way back. And really with the stuff like with Ancestry.com is that it's trying to go beyond the, the uh, of like what you know. So you go into, you know, something like that. You know, we're trying to map out the family tree. And it's not about the family you can remember. It's like, whoa, I didn't know. I didn't know those were my grandparents. Sometimes maybe. We want to go beyond what we can know. We want to go further, further back. How far back can we take this thing? And Genesis says we can take you back all the way to the beginning. I went to Ancestry.com this week and just because like, what, what's the, what are they selling? Like, what's their line? And, and they're, actually their tagline is, your past is waiting to inspire you. Your past is waiting to inspire you. And I thought to myself, they get it. They get that our story, as far back as it goes, helps tell us something about who we are and how we got here and who we are to be. Somehow our past inspires our present. It's funny because like, like, kids get this. You know, kids will ask you the question, where did I come from? They're like, oh no, oh no. Like, yeah, so where, mom, dad, where, where did I come from? Like, uh, well, okay, well, um, you see, uh, you know, from, from your mom and I. Uh, okay. Well, where'd you guys come from? Well, from, okay, from, from our parents. Okay. Where'd they come from? Okay, kid, look, like, all right, kid, there's got to be a line somewhere, but that's the idea. Where'd you come from? Where'd you come from? Where'd you come from? Because it matters. And what Genesis does is Genesis takes us all the way back, and this story is longer and deeper and wider than we could ever imagine. And we saw last week is that in Genesis 1-1, that in the beginning is God. This is a story about God. From beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, the story is about God. And if we miss that, if we miss that God is the main, the main character in the story, we're going to miss pretty much everything that the Bible talks about. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. Looking there at the front. We're going to start in day 2, which comes at verse 6. And God said, let there be, sorry, verse 6. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated 
the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And so in day one, what we saw was the separation of of light and darkness. And so we have the separation of light and darkness. Then day two comes along, and now there's a separation of the waters. The waters below and the waters above. And I think about one of the beautiful things is for life to happen, for life to thrive. The two things that you're going to need outside of life itself is light and water. Even when we think about can, 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 something, can something live, we go, well, there's got to be light and water. And God, almost like he knows what he's doing when he's setting up creation, is he goes, first we're going to give the light, and then what we're going to do is work with the waters, and we're going to separate the waters. Now, your translations may have this differently. ESV has it as uh, the expanse. Uh, NIV, NASB has it as the vault, and the King James Version has the word firmament. But the idea is that there is this, it's kind of like this weird word, it's just this idea that it was hammered out. Sometimes it can be even used for metal. It's hammered out. But the idea is that there was something created. And people have taken this word to say some crazy, crazy things. I think what he's really saying is that God created an atmosphere. And what he did was he separated out the waters below and the waters above. And we understand that. We understand that there is water above us as there's supposed to be hopefully rain this week. We, go, we understand that there's water in the atmosphere and there's water above and there's water below. And he called the waters, the expanse above, he calls it heaven. Now, the word heaven can be translated, I think in some of your translations it's, it's translated as sky. Uh, heaven's a tricky word. It, by the way, it's interesting. In, in Hebrew, the word for water is mayim, and then heaven is shamayim. So it's like this idea of mayim and shamayim. And so this idea here is that there's water above, water below. He called the waters above, he called that heaven, the sky. And, and I think that he, he's, just, he's, just, he's just separating it out. I don't think that he's saying like this is the heavens, which is the, the throne room of God. And what I think is here in verse, is what we see in, in just in chapter, sorry, in, uh, in day two, is this idea that God said, and it was so. And this is what I love. God said, and it was so. God, we're going to see this again to this morning. God said, and it was so. Because what we see in that statement, God said, and then it was so, is the basis of what we call faith. Faith is very foundational in Christianity as it is on all religions. And what we see here in day two, God is giving us the foundation of faith. God said, and it was so. Really all that faith is, I say that faith is the act of, uh, the act of belief and trust in the promises of God. But really what faith is, to simplify that, is to say that God said something, and I just believe that it's so. And actually, the, the, the more faith that you need is when God said something, and it doesn't seem to be so, it's re- more faith is required. And what we see here in day two is that God said it was so. God said it was so. God said it was so. And this will always be the case. We're going to see that God said it was so from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And so he separates out the waters. Day one separates out the light from the darkness. Day two separates out the waters. 
day three in verse nine. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together, he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants, sorry, vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, which is the seed, each according to its own kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. So day one, God separates out the light from the darkness, creates light, light from darkness. Day two, he separates out the waters. Day three, he gathers the waters together and then dry land appears. Now, I think this is beautiful, largely because if we were writing a story of how creation happened, I don't think this is what we would say. If there was enough water to, 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 create, to create major, major, major flooding, that the waters were gathered somewhere. Then I was thinking this week, even as we talk about things like global warming, one of the things that we're afraid of in global warming is that the waters are being ungathered. That the waters are gathered, that they're being ungathered. And if they're ungathered too much, we'll start to flood. Now, I don't know if here he's talking about the polar ice caps. I don't even know. What I think is awesome and amazing is that we would actually agree today, to go, yes, that the waters have been gathered. And if they are unleashed, there will be major flooding and land will be covered. Now, some scientists wouldn't say that all of the land, but land would be covered. And so the, the waters have been gathered. I think it's beautiful. And then we get to the place with vegetation. Now, this is the place where our mind starts to kick in because we can actually start to visualize this. It's hard to visualize the separation. Like I even, I was trying to like, as I was preparing for this, trying to visualize the separation of light and darkness. That was hard. Trying to visualize the, the, the separation of, of water. Like, how, like what did it look like before that? But when I got into the vegetation, I was like, oh, this I get. Things sprouting. Vegetation. Seed of its seed giving forth to that which it is. This idea of, of its kind. And so once again, we see the same pattern. God said it was so, and he saw that it was so. God said it was so, and he saw that it was good. God said it was so, he saw that it was good. But here with the vegetation, we get two differences. With the separation of light and dark, separation of the waters above and below, is that those are kind of one-time things. But here, the difference with this is that now what God has introduced is a reoccurring process. And what we're seeing with the vegetation for the first time, we're seeing that the natural and the supernatural are working together. The natural and the supernatural now is working together. And so God said there's a repeatable process and that the natural and the supernatural are going to be working together. It's interesting, right? God said it was so, things sprouted. I don't know if you've ever had a garden. 
Maybe you were in elementary school and your teacher said, we're going to plant this little seed in a cup of dirt. And then we're going to water it every day and then we're going to put that cup out by the window. And we're going to watch it every day and we're going we're to take notes. We did this in elementary school. And then one day, it's just cup of dirt, cup of dirt, cup of dirt, cup of dirt, cup of dirt. And then one day, this little green blade pops up through it all. <gasps> Mind blown. What is happening? The natural and the supernatural working together. You could watch it a million times. You could observe it. You could predict it. You could speed it up. You could slow it down. But it's no less miraculous. And so I think what we see here with this is that the supernatural is causing the natural thing to work. His command is for the, the, the seed to give forth according to its kind. In other words, produce what you are. This idea, I, I think, within genus, right, is to say uh, the, uh, the peach tree is not going to produce almonds or almond trees. And so produce what you are, and here we see the supernatural causing the natural to work. And then in verse 14, and then God said to the, God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. What do we see? And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw, God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And so on the fourth day comes along, we see the creation of the sun and the moon. It's interesting that we have the sun and the moon created after the vegetation. We looked at the light last week in, 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 in uh, day one. And so this idea of the, day, the, the sun and the moon. But it's interesting that actually Moses, who I believe is recording this, Moses doesn't say the sun and the moon, does he? Those words are certainly in his vocabulary. He uses them in other places. But he says the greater light and the lesser light. I think one of the things here that Moses is doing is he's coming against many pagan religions of the day and of our day that see the sun as God and the moon as the goddess. And what Moses says here in creation is, well, first of all, they're not even eternal because they came in on day four. Second of all, they're created. They are not eternal. They are created. They're not deities. They're not gods at all. There's a, there's a greater light and there is a lesser light. This was happening, you know, remember the Israelites, when Moses goes to get them, they're down in Egypt with the Egyptians, the great sun god, the great moon goddess. They're not gods at all. And what you have done is you have started to worship the creation instead of the creator. And anytime that that happens, there's a problem. By the way, we still do that today. People with their horoscopes. There is sun worship. There is moon worship. 
that is happening today. Paul addresses this problem in Romans, actually. In Romans chapter 1, verse 18, he says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. He says they're actually their unrighteousness is, is, a, is a form of truth suppression. This is not ignorance. They didn't know the truth, but truth was suppressed. For what, they, for what can be known about God is plain to them because, they, because God has shown it to them. For the invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. In other words, people should be able to look around and go, there is a God. And the reason why we know there's a God, because look, look at the power, look at his eternal nature. Everything that they know, they they should know. So they were without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, and animals, and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to their lust, gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is forever blessed. Amen. It's interesting because many people will go to, to Romans chapter 1, verse 18 and following to say, look at our world today. We have worshipped the creation instead of the creator. And we're like blown away. And I go, here's the problem. This has been around for a really long time. And any time we worship the creation, and by the way, the creation could be anything from, from people to ourselves to jobs to money to possessions. Anytime we worship the creation more than we do the creator, something is upside down. And what even Moses says in, in Genesis, when he goes, these, to worship the, the greater light or the lesser light is to miss the light. And to worship anything inferior to God is false worship. And so he sets them up. He says, don't make the same mistake as the Egyptians, as the world. Then he goes on to verse 20. And God said, let the water swarm with swarms of living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. And so God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the sea and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, a fifth day. And so God, with these seas, he creates the seas. And then what he does is he populates the seas. Love the ocean, love the ocean. You know, we're still discovering, I just read an article, we're still discovering things about the ocean. 
They thought the ocean and the seas were amazing here. You go, oh man, you don't even know the depths of them. We don't know the depths of them. We're sending, we're sending subs, unmanned subs down miles into the ocean to figure things out. So you guys know I've, I've got a, a reef tank at my house. I like to, like to grow the coral. Love the ocean. I'm fascinated by the ocean, the population of the ocean. It was so it's the closest we'll ever come to a, an alien world. So he gathers the seas, populates the seas, and then what he does is he populates the sky with the birds. By the way, interesting enough that the science leader would even say that they believe that, that life started in, in, in the oceans, in the water. And I say, well, that's actually at some level consistent with Scripture. So because he populates the oceans, populates the sky. You see what he's done? He has called, he's created, he has separated out forms, and then he begins to fill. Right? He separates out the waters, the sky, he populates the sky. He creates the heavens and the earth, he populates the heavens. He gathered the waters into the seas, and then he, he populates the seas. And you go, well, then what's left? You go, well, the land. You go, exactly. And that's what we see in the following verses. Verse 24. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And this morning we're going to stop here. This is kind of like day 6.5 before the creation of humanity. But he fills the world, the earth, as the land with beasts according to their kinds. Now here's where the, maybe the first place, we get in verse, well, we're, we're verse 24. The first place where are like, I, I disagree with God. That he looked at all the creeping things and said that they are good. And you go, I disagree with that because I don't know if all the creeping things are actually good. Some of them are, well, they're creepy. God said they're good. Yeah, but not in your house, right? Anyways. And so God fills the earth with things according to its kind. And once again, we see the natural being subjected by the supernatural. The supernatural God is speaking into the natural creation to say, this is what you are going to do. You're going to fail now. And I thought, it's one thing to watch the little green sprout come up out of the soil. But have you ever seen something born? That's a whole nother level. Maybe an egg that came out of, sorry, a chicken that came out of the egg. It cracks, such anticipation. Here it comes. It cracks it. It sticks its little head out. <gasps> what? Or you think about a baby. It's interesting, though, right? Is we understand that a baby is a natural thing, right? Sperm fertilizes the egg. Cells begin to multiply. Organs are formed, hearts start to beat, legs start to kick, arms start to 
to wail. And then birth happens. But there's something there, isn't there? I've gone to a lot of hospital rooms with new parents. And sitting there, they, they, you know, to congratulate and to celebrate and to pray with. And yet once I go, well, you know, it's just a natural thing. I don't know what the big deal is. But, no, because we understand something, although this is very natural. We understand the process. We understand how this works. But something supernatural has taken place. And I go, yes, that's what we're talking about. The supernatural and the natural working together. And the supernatural is ordering the way of the natural. And as I look at days 1 through 6.5, we're going to get to humanity because that's going to be a whole separate issue. Still is. Always will be probably until Christ returns. But as I see this, and what I see is that there's the supernatural God creating and ordering the natural world and directing it to his desired end. That the supernatural God is creating and ordering the natural world to his desired end, right? Which is what he says. It is good. Created, it was so, it was good. The supernatural God is creating and ordering the natural world to his desired end. And so when I think about that and I think about Genesis, I think about two things. One, is that the world is not random, but the world is an ordered place. Which is why I would, re- re- I would reject any explanation of how we got here as a random process. And by the way, I include Christianity's sometimes explanation with that as well. Sometimes I'll talk with Christians, they'll go, yeah, I think God was just like, I don't know, let's put, uh, let's put a tree right here. Like a tree. Like, and uh, we don't have a weird-looking animal, so uh, let's get a giraffe. Like, well, let's, have a, let's have something with a really long neck that looks super funky. God's not random. God's ordered. And I will reject any sort of explanation of how we got here as a random process because I believe that the world is ordered because the world, the natural world, has been ordered by the supernatural God. You go, well, why is there a big deal about that? And I go, the reason why there's a big deal about that is because there's a connection between being ordered and having meaning and purpose. To give you an example of this, somebody may say, I don't believe in coincidences. And maybe that's your thing. Like, I don't believe in coincidences. There's no coincidence. And often they're not trying to explain the creation of the world. What they're trying to explain is what just happened to them. And maybe something a little less, less important than the creation of everything. Maybe something a little more trivial. And so they'll say something like, I don't believe in coincidences. And so I was at Starbucks, and they got my drink wrong. And so I had to wait for another drink to be made. Then I got my drink, and then as I was getting into my car, this guy I haven't seen in like 20 years, he pulls up and gets out, and he's like, Josh! I'm like, what are you doing here? And we start talking. And it just turns out that he's got like, he's got a, he's got a job in the area in which I'm looking for a job. I'm not looking for a job, but this is an illustration, by the way. 
Uh, he's got a job in, in the area in which I'm looking for a job. And he's like, we should talk. And I'm like, yes. And I go, I don't believe in coincidences. And so what are we saying? And by the way, this is not exclusively Christian. I talk to lots of people that, that aren't even of faith, that have these sorts of stories and will say these sorts of things. They'll go, and they'll say, they won't say things like God, but the universe. It was meant to be that my coffee was wrong so that I could walk out late so that, that it would give enough time for this other, this other guy to come up so that I would, and really what we're saying is that the, the job is meant to be. There's purpose in all of this. There was purpose in my coffee being late. There was purpose in me uh, going even to that Starbucks on that day. There was purpose to him pulling in, and the job is meant to be. And to say that it is random, then it loses its purpose. And I would say, well, yes, I would agree. We want to believe that the universe has orchestrated this whole thing and given it meaning. And I go, well, yes, on some level, I believe that God has orchestrated and ordered his world. And because he has orchestrated and ordered his world, we get to start asking questions about meaning and about purpose. And so what we see here is God ordering and active in every step, by the way. That's one that the world is not random, it's ordered. And then two, is that the supernatural God is continually creating and directing the natural world to his desired end. I think that what we, because we live in the natural world, what we think sometimes is that that's all that there is. And often, I, I often sometimes even forget that we live in the supernatural world and God is moving the supernatural world towards his desired end. And by the way, that's not just true of the world, but that's true of like my own life. That's true of your life. That God is moving your life in the direction of his desired end. That's his created order. And so what Genesis 1 really tells us, I think, is that it's not random, that God has ordered it, but the supernatural the supernatural has created the natural and ordered it in such a way in which it's going to bring it about to its desired end. Now, the reason why you go, well, why is that a big idea? Okay, well, that's a big idea because to throw off the supernatural order will be to invite random chaos. Spoiler alert, this is Genesis 3. To throw off the supernatural order is to invite chaos. Spoiler alert. That was Romans chapter 1 that we read. They threw off the natural order that God, the way that the supernatural had ordered things. They took on their own order, and then what, what went forth was chaos. And so when we, when we think about Genesis 1, it's not just about the, the origin of the world, but this idea that the supernatural God has ordered his natural world in such a way that it was good. And when we throw off that, that, natural, that supernatural order, what we do is we invite chaos. And that, by the way, is, is us as a, as, a, as a culture, us as a country, us as a world, and you individually, me, 
To throw off the supernatural order of things is to invite chaos. One of the beautiful things about Jesus is that Jesus knows that we can't reorder it on our own. And part of the recreation process that he invites us into is in which the supernatural order is restored. That's part of the redemption. That's one of the reasons why it's a big deal to go, oh, did you ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life? Not just to pray a prayer, but this idea that, Jesus, what I want you to do is I want you to come in and I want you to, to, to redeem me and to forgive me of my sins. But, but more than just that, I want you to reestablish the supernatural order in my chaos. Because that's what you do. I've thrown it off. At times I throw it off. You throw it off. And maybe even currently are throwing it off. But to throw off the supernatural order of God is to invite chaos. And some of you right now are living the chaos. The world is not a random place. Your life is not random. And because it's not random, it is full of purpose and it's full of meaning. And God is looking to reestablish his created order. Not just in our country, by the way. Not just in your household. Not just in your job. But in your life. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are an ordered God. Not an ordered God as a sense of control, a power play. But a God who has ordered things so that they would be deemed good. God, we thank you that you have created this natural world that we get to live in. We thank you that you are the one who has ordered it. God, and sometimes I know that the the, the chaos is scary. The chaos is frightening. God, I know that the places which we have thrown off your supernatural order has brought chaos to our lives, has brought chaos to our families, our country, our world. We pray, God, that you would reestablish through Christ, that you would reestablish your supernatural order. That I pray that that's not just true of day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six. I pray that would be true of today. We thank you that out of your order comes meaning and purpose. And that all of this would go towards your glory. We love you. We pray for these things in your name. Amen.